morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. Um, we are continuing with our series on shocked. And this morning we're going to talk about being shocked by God's blessing. And we have a God that wants to bless us and does bless us. And I tell you, as I was watching the worship team this morning, I was like, you know, I'm so blessed that as Paul was playing his guitar, I was like, you know, the 80s just never die, do they? They don't go away. And uh, yeah, with the hair and all that. And pink guitar. That guitar reminds me of my senior prom's uh, tuxedo that I wore, actually. So uh, <clears throat> it's hard to believe that went away, but it's coming back. And uh, so do me a favor, turn inside your Bible. If you have a Bible, turn with Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along with me there. And uh, this is uh, sermon number five in a series called Shocked. And I've, I've been kind of teaching you all that uh, it, through my journey, spiritual journeys in life, I'm often shocked at what shocks followers of Christ. And so, you know, we've kind of been unpacking some of these things. And, and so that uh, as we leave this room, we're not shocked by certain things. I don't want you to be shocked by our mortality, okay? Uh, every one of us gets a funeral and don't want to be shocked by difficulty. I want to, don't want us to be shocked by the very things that we sow that one day we'll reap from the, uh, how we sow our lives. Uh, last week we talked about we don't want to be shocked by a God who answers prayer. You know, we have a God that does answer prayer. And this morning, we're talking about being shocked by God's blessing. We have a God that does want to bless us and, and, and give us good gifts and, and provide for us. And that's the God that we worship and the, the God that we serve. So if you have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is towards the, the left side. You know, it's the first couple of books in. You'll find it. Uh, chapter 28. And we're going to start right in verse 1. I, uh, I don't know how many of you all, how many of you all got to see uh, the presidential debate this, this past week? I think it was Tuesday night. I got to see the debate. How many saw that? Everybody raise your hand. Let's see. All right, half of you. I, I expect better attendance at the next debate. All right, these are important times. So um, <clears throat> these are important times. But one of the things that stuck out to me in the debate, it was a town hall debate, which means the questions were taken from the audience, and, and then the, the, uh, the president and uh, the GOP candidate would answer the, the questions. And it was really interesting to me because the questions, for the most part, were very individual. Like, you know, how are, you, you know, how, how are your policies, how is your leadership going to help me get a job or help make sure Social Security is there when I get to retirement or, you know, make sure my college education is paid for and on and on the thing, you know, how can you and your policies bless me? And then these candidates would then talk about how their policies, as opposed to the other candidates' policies, would bless them, right? And they were like, well, we're going to make sure your education case and make sure your social security and all this stuff and they're talking about all the spending and all these things they're going to be able to do and all the while reduce the 14 trillion dollar deficit which i thought was interesting i'm like how, how are we going to do that right if we're just spending money like crazy but as i as i listened it reminded me of a bunch of people that were going to bestow on the people of america all the blessings that really only god can give us and I watched the debate, and then the very next day I spent some time with this passage in Deuteronomy, and there was a close, uh, uh, it was very closely related that what these candidates were saying is what God said he would do for a people that trust in him and his word. And, and, and so to give you a little context of what we're going to look at this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is written to some people that were recently enslaved in Egypt. 
And God had raised up a leader by the name of Moses to lead them out of their slavery, and he was taking them to a promised land. So you can imagine a group of recently freed slaves that had always been told what to do and always worked for someone else was now being given a land that was going to be their own. They were going to be able to build a community and, and be able to build a nation in this new land. And so God, at the very forefront, is establishing what he expects from his people so that their new life will be blessed by by him. And it's incredible because it, it's amazing how God in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 just pours out his blessing after blessing after blessing for the people that follow after him. He says, you know, I'm going to bless you above all nations, he says in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, uh, my blessings, they're, they're going to be so great upon you, literally it's going to overwhelm you. And by the way, as a side note, um, if you're ever having a really bad day, I want to encourage you with this, right? Take a few moments, pause, and count your blessings. Really do that. Like, take a few moments and say, hey, God, you know, I'm going to start thinking about some of the things you've blessed me with, and, and your blessings will probably overwhelm you, okay? Verse 3, he goes on and says he's going to bless the cities that they live in. He, verse 3 talks about how he's going to bless the businesses that they take part in. Verse 4, he talks about how he's going to bless their families, Verse 12, he goes on to say he's going to bless the nation's finances. In fact, this is just a side note, but this stuck out to me. I want to, I want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. It says, The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in heaven and will bless all the work you do. Now, here's what I want you to get. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. I don't think I'm pulling this out of context when I say, what does that say about the state of the union that we live in? Are we under the blessing of God or are we under the cursing of God? Right? It doesn't take, this isn't twisting the Bible to say, you know what, we're not in a position of God's blessing right now. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the blessing of God. But before I launch in this morning, I, I want to caveat what we're going to talk about. I am not preaching this morning to those of you that are in this room that are investigating the claims of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, you're, you, wouldn't, you would not call yourself a Christian. You say, no, I'm just checking things out. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of investigating. I'm new to this whole church thing. I'm new to this whole Jesus thing. I'm, new. I'm not preaching to you. You can, you can kind of sit back and watch me preach at them this morning, okay, because I'm preaching at them. But if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you, 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 when you walk out of these doors and you go into the community, you take the label Christian upon yourself. That is a claim that you make of yourself. You go out in the community and say, yes, I'm a Christian. I am preaching at you this morning. This tar this is, that's the target audience. Because the truth be told, I, as a pastor, I really have no business judging or giving any biblical implications to those who are not followers of Christ. That's between them and God. But if you take the name Christian upon you, we're going to talk about the kind of lifestyle that God requires out of Deuteronomy chapter 28 for God's blessing to be poured out. And so Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, follow along with me. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, 
the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world and you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. The first thing I want you to see is, yes, we shouldn't be shocked by God's blessing, but our lives have to be a picture of faithful obedience to the word of God. Church, it's, it's up to us to adjust our lives and to faithfully obey what God has called us to do. And I believe that the culture we live in is where it is today, not because of them out there, but because of us in here. Because those of us who have claimed the name of Christ upon our lives have not adjusted our lives to the word of God. And I want to impress upon your heart this morning a conviction that as followers of Christ, we must stop ignoring the word of God. We, we, it, it, the word of God is not a suggestion that we get to leave here and if we want to, we adjust our lives to it. The word of God is true. And too many of us as followers of Christ, we, we take the name of Christ upon our lives, but then the word of God and his ways and his will, they're, they're sometimes ignored as if it doesn't apply to us. And God cannot and will not bless the life of a life lived outside of the word of God. You want to know why that is? He would be blessing unrighteousness and unholiness. And mediocrity is what makes God sick. Following God is not a half-in, half-out proposition. Following Jesus Christ, taking the name Christian upon you, is an all-in proposition. In Revelation chapter 3, the opening book of the book of Revelation is written to seven churches in Asia Minor. And one of the churches, the church of Laodicea, and that church, we, as we read uh, chapter 3 to this church in Laodicea, we find out they're wealthy, and they have a lot of stuff, and they probably have a whole band behind them. They got all the stuff you need to pull off church. They got you know, video projectors and lighting and all this stuff. They got stuff, but they don't know the God of the Bible because they're lukewarm. They're half in and half out. And in Luke, Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Since you are luke, like lukewarm water, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The word spit literally means to vomit. God says, you're like, you know, I would rather you wouldn't say you're not a follower of me. I'd rather you be cold or I'd rather you be hot, but don't be in the middle in following after me. Because this halfway following of me makes me, literally, it makes me sick. And we live in a culture and we want God to bless us, but we want God to bless our mediocrity. We want God to bless our half-hearted following of him. And it, to, to be under the umbrella of God's blessing requires daily obedience. It requires that day in and day out our hearts are captivated by the word of God. And by the way, I'm talking a lot about the word of God this morning. We're not here to worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. We worship his son, Jesus Christ. He's the object of our worship. But how else are we going to know who he is and what he expects of us if we're not in his word? The Bible is how God has revealed himself to us and his truths to us. And if you're here this morning and as I'm preaching or on a regular basis I'm preaching and the, and the Holy Spirit and the power of the word starts to convict you of sin, I don't preach these things to make you feel bad. Feeling bad is not repentance. 
Feeling bad is conviction, and that's a good thing if it leads you to repentance. Does anybody know what repentance means? It literally means 180-degree turn. It means I'm going this way. I'm doing things my way. I, I hear the word of God via a preacher, via my own reading, via a tape, via a CD. A tape, where did that come from? 80s are back. Okay, via, via something on the radio, something on the internet, right? You hear, you hear a teaching of God's word. The Holy Spirit takes that. It convicts your heart. And you say, you know what? I can no longer go this direction and honor the Lord with my life. I need to repent. Repentance is not feeling bad. That's conviction. Repentance is, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to, one time I was preaching on repentance, and I said, I'm going to do a 360, right? That just leads you right back here, right? You don't want to do that, but you want to do a 180. You want to follow the things of God. And church, too many of us, we hear the word of God, and the Holy Spirit impresses something upon our hearts, and we don't do the 180. We just leave feeling bad with conviction. And so Deuteronomy says, the first thing you got to do, you got to you got to be you got to be faithful to the word of God. The second thing he says is you got to be careful to do the word of God. He says if you fully obey the Lord your God and you carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the world. And you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Here's what the word careful means. It means to give due attention to. We, we have, church, we have to give due attention to God and his word. A couple books later, after Deuteronomy, there's a book called Judges. And, and Judges is several generations removed from this group of Deuteronomy. And what we see in the history of Israel is as God begins to bless his people, they begin to follow God's word, they begin to live in a manner that's righteous and holy before the Lord, God begins to bless them. And then what happens is because they're being blessed, they tend to forget their need for God. Does that sound like a culture you live in? Right? I mean, we, we would be lying if we didn't say, hey, that this culture wasn't founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic, Okay. And now we, we've, we've kicked God out of our schools. And I, I, I saw a court case this week where a, a, a little girl in Texas was a cheerleader and she was writing Bible verses on her car. And the court was kind enough to let her continue to do that. Since when has the Bible been offensive to people? I'm offended. When does my voice get heard, right? So I'm offended that the Bible can't be places. But anyway, you know, we were built on this, and then God's blessing is poured out, and then the people forget their need for God. And this is, this is a pattern in the book of Judges, and it's just a cycle. And so the people, so then God removes his blessing and end up in slavery, and God would raise up another judge. And you know some of the judges, like Samson and Gideon and Deborah and some of these very famous Old Testament characters, and God raises them up and he delivers them and then he begins to trust God and God pours out his blessing and then through the blessing they forget their need for God and this goes on and on and on and on until Judges chapter 21, the, almost the very last book and verse in the book of Judges. <clears throat> it says, in those days, Israel had no king, get this, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And so what we have here is a people that think that they get to pick and choose truth. And we live in a culture, church, that 
truth is, we think truth is up to us as an individual. And again, I'm not talking about the culture out there. I'm talking about how culture is seeping into the thinking of the minds of followers of Christ. And we're beginning to pick and choose what is true for us. And we've become confused. You want to know why we've become confused? Because we've moved off the authority of the word of God as being true. And I'm going to tell you something, church, as long as I'm pastor of Coastal, we're going to dive back to the Bible and we're going to say, this is true and this is what we're building on as a church. And there's times where it's culturally uncomfortable and there's times where people are going to leave here shaking their head like he's so, you know, a thousand years ago, whatever, and his thinking. But it's because I fear, I fear more the danger of every person having a smorgasbord of truth and saying, this is what I'm going to believe and this is what I'm going to believe. And we've got a world of Christians that don't know what is true anymore. Truth is true for all people of all times. It is logical, it's immovable, and it's good for all people. It's always true. It's not open to interpretation. And we have to be careful that we give due attention to God's word. I, uh, I listened to one of my sermons this past week just to kind of scrutinize myself. And I have a new appreciation for each of you. It's painful, okay? And, so, and I have one of these things that I say week in and week out. What do I say at the beginning of my sermon? I always say, there's a Bible somewhere in a, what, chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. If you don't own a Bible, what? That's our gift to you, right? I, keep it. I thought y'all would do better than that. Saturday night did better. I guess I'm going to repeat it more there. But <clears throat> Why do I do that? Because I want your lives to be built on God's Word. Church, if the only Bible you're getting is right here, that's not enough. Because in the daily grind, as we go out of these doors, man, there's, there are enemies to the faith of Christ. I always say that our th we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, And those things are attacking our thinking, are attacking our hearts. Are attacking, and, and you've got to be daily in God's word. And you have to be careful that you know it, that your life is built upon it, that you're adjusting your thinking and your worldview and your parenting and your, your work ethic and your study ethic and everything has got to be built on the truth of God's word. And so we have to be careful that we're in God's word. The second thing that the author of Deuteronomy says is we have to be careful to do God's word. Not just careful to know it, but then we got to adjust, we got to do it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. The next couple of verses go on to illustrate this by saying, it's like someone that looks into a mirror and doesn't make any adjustments, Right? How many of you this morning got up, looked in the mirror, and said, good enough? Looks good. I'm fine. I'll just go to church that way. All right, not many. This past Thursday morning, I had a small group with some college students. A couple of the guys that have been with us at Coastal for four years, they come rolling in a little late, and they're like, we just rolled out of bed. Like, yeah, we can tell. You know, it looks like it. You know, at least put a comb to that hair before you come in, you know. But the Bible says, you know, if you hear God's word and you don't adjust to it, that's the illustration. I'm just looking in the mirror and not making any changes to align our lives with the truth of God's word. And some of you in this room, you, you have a ton of head knowledge, but there's no adjustment. 
In fact, as American Christians, you have more information in your fingertips than most pastors around the rest of the world. I hear this all the time. I don't, have enough, I don't know enough to lead a small group. I don't know enough to teach. I don't know enough to share Jesus out in the community. Listen, you know way more than most pastors around the world. How do I know? Because I've been to some of these local pastors and villages all across the world. They don't have the kind of information you have. Most of them don't even have a copy of God's word to read on a regular basis. You have a ton of head knowledge. We have to adjust to the word of God. I'm going to give you two illustrations this morning. Okay, these are illustrations. I could give you 10. I could give you 20. I'm going to give you two. If I could pick on two cultural sins that have crept their way into the thinking of Christians, I would pick these two. How we handle our money and sex and sexuality. Even followers of Christ were incredibly confused on these two areas. So I want to read you two Bible, two passages of Scripture, and I want you to ask yourself, am I adjusting myself to the Word of God? Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. In other words, if this was true 2,500 years ago, it's true today, and it was true 6,000 years ago. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. In other words, God says, I didn't punish you and destroy you already because I promised I wouldn't. I'm true to my word. Ever since the days, verse 7, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you have failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But the people ask, but you ask, how can we return? We've never gone away. In other words, what do you mean, God? We've never left you. And God says, let me give you one example. Should a people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says, you have cheated me of my tithes and offerings due to me. Verse 9, ready? So you're under a what? Curse. For the whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into my storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven armies. By the way, this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible about God's blessing to us. He says, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Get this. This is the a double dog dare you verse of the Bible, all right? <laughs> Try it. Put me to the test, says the God of the universe. Statistics in America say that the average Christian in American Christianity donates 2.2% of their income to their local church. A tithe means what, church? It means a tenth. Now, some of you are going to go, well, that's Old Testament and we're under grace. Right. I think grace heightens it. When Jesus was preaching under grace, he says, I tell you, it's not commit adultery. I said, don't even look at a woman in lust. Or you've committed adultery in your heart. Grace takes it to a whole new level. And by the way, this passage says, you have cheated me not by not bringing in the tithes and the what? 
offerings. A tenth is the beginning place of being a generous people. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be real honest with you. I think if you're not tithing, you're being disobedient to the word of God. And the Bible says, trust me on this and see if I don't bless you. And by the way, Coastal's not hurting, and Coastal and God don't need your money. There's a deeper issue here. You want to know what the issue is? Do you trust me, or do you trust your bank account? That's the issue. Church, you can't make enough money to protect yourself from every financial collapse. You better have your heart connected to the God of the universe to trust for your financial provisions. And a tithe is the way that says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a shot right at the greed monster inside my own heart and make sure that doesn't own me. That's what it is. And by the way, when we hear blessings, I, don't want, I want to be very cautious here because a lot of times we hear blessings, what do we think, man? Big house, newer car, shinier, faster boat, all that stuff. I want to give you a little legacy me- message here this morning. My dad, <clears throat> blue-collar dude, okay? Very little education, High school education, blue-collar guy, worked very hard. There were times where he got laid off. There was times where money was tight. My dad never bragged about it, but I always knew my dad tithed, always. I don't know how I knew. I just knew it was a part of his DNA and a part of his spiritual journey. And one of his blessings, and my dad is this old, crusty guy, and now he's getting a little older, man. He's getting softer. You know, how many guys, dads, how many does that start happening? The older you get, like, man, I wish I'd hugged more and that kind of thing, right? So my dad's kind of getting there, right? And, and every time we get together for the holidays, I look around his house, man, and I see three kids that all three are following Jesus Christ, connected to their local church, and bringing up the seven grandchildren in the ways of Christ. And I watch my dad sit back. And I can tell, man, there's just this thing in him like, man, I've, God has blessed me. God has really blessed me more than I could ever deserve. Now, is it because he tithed? No, it's not because he tithed. It's because the tithe was an outgrowth of his passion for Christ and his trust in the things of God. Church, we've got to be careful to do what God has called us to do. Second one I want to talk about is sexuality. I won't spend as much time on this, okay? Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll get there. First Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, by the way, if you're here this morning and you're wondering what God's will is for me, maybe you're hearing like, I don't know what God's will is for me. I'm kind of, you know, and you're thinking about a job or whatever. I wanna, here, I'm going to give it to you. Ready? God's will is for you to be what? Holy. What's the word holy mean? Set apart. What's it set apart for what? Set apart for God, for his ways. Set apart that God's glory might be shined through your life, right? And so he says, God's will is for you to be holy. And so then Paul gets very specific here, ready? So stay away from all sexual, what? Sin. Then each of you will control his body and live in holiness and honor. Some of you in this room are not doing God's will in this area. And you take the name of Jesus Christ with you out into the community, and your life is not adjusted to the holiness in this area of your life. Verse 5, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. By the way, the Apostle Paul is like, I'm not preaching to those who don't know God. Right? He's agreeing with me this way. We're preaching to those who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 6. 
Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. By the way, let me pause here for a minute. When I was a single guy and I was reading this, I remember God's spirit getting a hold of my heart, and this is what God's spirit said to me. Sean, the girl you're about to go with this, out with this weekend, she might not be your wife. She may belong to another Christian brother someday, so you better make sure you treat her well. You treat that date with purity because she may belong to another brother someday down the road. So singles, this applies to you and maybe more so. And some of you men, you're, you're settling for a cheap imitation on a, on a computer screen. When God has blessed you with a great wife, and some of you that are dating right now, you're settling for way less than God has for that relationship. And church, we've allowed this sin to creep into our community as if we are not set apart. We are set apart to be holy. Verse 7, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refused to live, live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting who? This stuff's not made up, church. This is the real deal. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the happy clappy songs end and we start doing a little heart surgery and we start going, am I serious about this deal that I call myself a Christian? Who gives, you're rejecting God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis tells a story. He said, you know, this gets back to my sermon on God blessing us. C.S. Lewis tells a story. He says, you know, <clears throat> some of us are, we're in a mud puddle and we're making mud pies when what God has for us is a cruise at sea. But we are settling for making mud pies in the mud puddle. And the cruise at sea is going right by us. Some of you in this room, the, the God of the universe wants to bless you like you could never imagine. But you're settled in this sin, man. And you're just in this muck. And you're, and you're not generous. And you're not generous because you trust your bank account, really. You really do trust your bank account more than you trust God. And, and, you, and, you, and you, you're me messing around with sexual sin. And some of you are single and you're messing around with it. And you're missing that God's got someone great for you because you're settling for way less than God has. Or some of you in this room, you're, God's giving you this great spouse. But you're all messed up in this sexual sin. You can't even see the great spouse God has given you. God says, stop making mud pies in the mud puddle and go trust me, man. I've got something great for your marriage. I've got something great for your future. I've got a great spouse for you but stop playing with this sin right now and be free to move your life and adjust your life under the umbrella of the blessing that i have for you those are two illustrations i could give you 10 but if you're like me man and i'm sure you are i get easily distracted from god's word there's a lot of things pulling at me all day long a lot of things pulling at my heart it's easy to get tangled up in unrighteousness but there's a bigger issue this morning that Deuteronomy adjusts and, and um, brings our attention to. And that's the worship of our heart. See, a lot of us, if you think that leaving here and just doing, we, we haven't attacked and we haven't adjusted the heart issue. The deeper issue is worship of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 14 says, you must not turn away from any of the commands I've given you today, nor follow after the gods and uh, other gods and worship them. 
One of the things we talk about over and over at Coastal, and now, so those of you that may be investigating or checking things out this morning, okay, you're going to hear us. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Because this gets back to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. When I talked about when we follow God and we follow his son, Jesus Christ, he pulls out that old heart that lives for you and he gives you a new heart that's tender towards the things of God. And so a lot, of things, a lot of times at Coastal Man, we lift up Jesus Christ as our object of worship. Why? Because the more our eyes and our attention is focused on worshiping God, the, less we, the more we understand the world really has nothing for me. And so that's why we encourage you at Coastal, focus on Christ, become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. The more you worship Jesus Christ, the less your heart even wants to do sin because you're, you're freed up to do the things of God. We want you to worship the one who is done, not, the one, not so that you go out of here and do. That's why Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he paid the penalty for sin. He yelled out, it is what? Finished, right? It's done. Religion is now over. It is now a heart that worships the God of the universe because of the goodness, his goodness and his love and his sacrifice. And when we give our hearts to him, he gives us a new heart that it beats tenderly for the things of God. And that's why when I'm preaching on righteousness and holiness, there's, there's a silent hush in this room because we all recognize, you know what, my heart sometimes is still kind of tangled up in things it shouldn't be. And there's a conviction in that. That's a healthy conviction. But if it ends with just conviction and feeling bad, we have not done what? Repented, right? And that new heart says, you know what, Jesus, I want to honor you with my finances, I want to honor you in my sexuality. I want to honor you with my speech. I want to honor you with a good day's work. I want to honor you and worship you in all that I do because, in all, because I recognize, not that it earns your favor, God, but because I want your glory to shine through my life. And when we adjust our lives to worship God, I believe that we worship a God that sh we should not be shocked that he cannot wait to pour out his blessing on people who adjust their lives to the ways of Jesus Christ. I think that's why the author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And he says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Church, we got to strip off the sin and entangles, and we got to keep our focus on Christ. Allow Him and His Word to adjust our lives to what is holy and righteous in the sight of God. And when we do that, we should not be shocked that we have a God who desires to pour out His blessing on people who are serious about following the holiness and the righteousness of the God we worship. I want to finish with a story. I have a um, I have a dog. My dog is about this big. He, he's a step above a rat. And um, <clears throat> my, my dog does not listen to a thing I tell it to do. Uh, in fact, in the, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, it actually talks about that a, a spiritual leader's home has to be in order to lead a church. And every time I look at my dog, it makes me wonder, is my home really in order? Because this dog doesn't... Some of y'all, your dogs are so well-trained, and I'm humbled by you, okay? I don't know how you got that to happen, but my dog doesn't do anything. He, he doesn't fetch. 
you know, he doesn't bring, you know, you throw a ball, he doesn't bring it back, he, he doesn't even really let you know when he's got to go use the bathroom, he is house trained, but he just starts acting weird, like all of a sudden he's just acting weird, like you got to go out, and then he kind of wags his tail, that's about, that's the one little thing he kind of does, but, you know, he doesn't fetch, he, he doesn't sit, he doesn't stop barking when I tell him to, he doesn't shake a paw, he doesn't do anything, he doesn't obey me at any level except one thing. If I yell at him, if I say, Toby, get in your crate, he goes full bore as fast as he can into this crate, all out. He hits the back of the crate so hard it, it moves every time, the whole crate. And so to exercise my authority over my house, I do this all day long because it's the only thing he does. Toby, get in your crate. And I watch him run as fast as he can. And, and a couple weeks ago, I... My boys and I, we just thought this was hilarious. We stood over by his food. He gets a little possessive around his food. So he'd come running out to guard his food. And I'd go, Toby, get in your crate. And he turned and ran back in. And we did this for like 15 minutes straight, busting a gut. And um, <laughs> if anybody knows a good pet psychologist, I could use one. <laughs> but here's what I love about that. My dog obeys that command with reckless abandon every time. And I believe that God, church, he's waiting for a group of people that will say, you know what, God, we're going to read your word and we are going to obey with reckless abandon. We're going to go full force after your word and after your righteousness because we believe when we do that, you're gonna pull, we're not going to be shocked when you pour out your blessing upon us. We're not going to be shocked that we serve a God who blesses when the people say, you know what, I'm going to adjust my life to worship Christ, to the word and the will of God. And so this morning as I was talking, if, if God's spirit was working on you about a sin that's got you tangled and you're not running the race as hard as you can and your eyes aren't focused on Christ as much because you're tangled up in sin, let me encourage you, strip off that sin and with reckless abandon, pursue the holiness and righteousness of Christ. And when you do that, God will bless you. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says this. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God, he will set you on high above the nations of the world. And you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Church, that was true 6,000 years ago. I believe it's true today. And I can hardly wait to see what God will do with a group of people, a church. It says we're done meddling in the mud puddle of sin. We're going to unshackle ourselves from sin. And we're going to pursue the righteousness of Christ to honor Jesus Christ with our lives. And we're going to believe wholeheartedly, with reckless abandon, that the God that we worship will bless those that pursue him with all that they are. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this church of people. I love Coast Community Church, and I know it's filled with a whole bunch of people saying, you know what, we do want to pursue Christ with reckless abandon. 
But God, if we're honest, all of us, if we're honest, God, you know, our hearts at times are torn. And there's times where we're settling in the mud puddle when uh, God has so much, you have so much more for us. And so God, this morning, uh, I pray that you, because you're gracious and merciful, God, you would, you would do a little heart surgery this morning on every single one of us in this room that calls ourselves a Christian. There's not a, one of us in this room, there's not something we can't adjust and pursue you with reckless abandon. God, I pray that you'd make us a more generous people. I love that verse. You, you, you dare us, God, in Malachi to trust you with our financial resources. God, we don't want to be the average American church. We, we want to be better than that. We want to pursue you, God. We, we want to be generous. God, we don't want to be the average American church that is just compromised in the area of sex and sexuality. We don't, we don't want to be the average American church, God, that just, uh, we're kind of half-heartedly parenting, God, instead of raising up a generation of leaders. God, we, we don't want to be the average American church that only walks in the door and wonders what the service is just about us. We want to be a church that when we leave here, we're outwardly focused. We want to see every tribe, tongue, and nation become worshipers of Christ. God, we believe that you're a God that will shock us with your blessing. We, we engage wholeheartedly with your word and fully obey. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Coastal, this is our... our